Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. probably 26, 27 years removed from playing, and I couldn't tell you the score of a single game that I played in. Now, I might be able to tell you about a big win or something like that, but the things that I really remember are the relationships that I had with teammates, that I had with coaches, the way that they've impacted my life. I mean, I saw my uh, college defensive coordinator two days ago, and it was, you know, we hadn't seen each other in over a year, and just sitting there and catching up and continuing to have him impart wisdom on me is something that Yo, still still means a lot and carries a lot of weight with me. Our guest today is Jim Catanzaro, the head football coach at Lake Forest College. 2023 was his 18th at the college, 15th as the head coach, and third as the offensive coordinator. He's also the director of athletics overseeing the Forrester game plan, which we'll talk about on this episode. His defense was number one in the nation in college football in total defense with 191.1 yards allowed per game. Scoring defense, only 5.6 points per game. And third down defense, allowing just 18.9% conversions. We'll talk about what goes into creating those kinds of numbers, both from the player development side, on and off the field, as well as how the offense fits into that picture. Please stay tuned for our Winning Edge takeaways at the end of the episode. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. 
Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. Today we're going to talk about a number of topics, including 12 personnel going into the huddle, playing great defense and complimentary football, as well as developing athletes off the field. And joining me to discuss all of those things is the head football coach at Lake Forest College, Jim Catanzaro. Coach, great to have you here today. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on. I've been a big fan for a long time and uh, getting to be on with you is an actual honor, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, before we got going, I was telling you, you know, I, I have been following you for a while, and you know, we've, we had done some of the virtual clinics with uh, Arizona Coaches Football Association, Minority Co- Football Coaches Association, and saw some of your clinics there. And one of them you talked about adding tight ends back to it, and you know, admitting that you were a defensive guy, but you made that change over to the other side, and you know, it was it was things that you hated to see as a defensive coordinator that you wanted to do on offense, and. I was telling you the thing that, you know, as as I was thinking about this interview this morning, I saw something come up on uh, Twitter, X, whatever you'd like to call it, from Nick Saban talking to uh, Pat McAfee about Michigan huddling up. And it was the first team they faced that did that. And it did affect that the way they called the defenses. And, you know, you think about how the game has evolved. And we went to, through this era of, you know, no huddle spread where, where people didn't even know how to get in a huddle because they didn't put it in. And you could call the game differently. You could see things as the defensive coordinator, personnel coming onto the field. Where were they going? And make your calls that way. And the huddle now adds something back to it. It, it does now become an interesting tool for an offense. Yeah, I, I think that the huddle, I, I love the huddle. It, it allows people to take a breath and, and get themselves ready. Um, I, I think that the play as you go out there is something that, you know, the quick reaction to things and waiting and, and the defense being comfortable in their stance and things like that has, has changed their ability to diagnose and look at certain things. Um, and I, I think that there is a really strong opportunity to be in the huddle and come out and sprint the line and run a football, you know, run the ball, run the play. And um, sometimes it's really a matter of what are you trying to do? And, uh, you know, we kind of talked about that complimentary football piece it is really a lot of, you know, how many plays do you want your defense to play? The more the more opportunities you give that offensive staff to make plays and make adjustments, the more likely they are to find a, a solution. So I can help our defense out by, you know, taking more time off the clock and taking that old, you know, 1990s NFC East, you know, <laughs> run the clock and, and time of possession, that kind of stuff. I, I still believe there's value in that. And then having been on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, for me, it was like if we played around 70 plays, we thought we were going to have a, a real good success. If we got in that 80, 90 range, it was going to start to be a, a, a little bit worse for us. And so offense can help us control that. Yeah, there's there's so many things there that you said that I, I want to unpack. And, you know, thinking that idea about how much do you want your defense to play? And really, I think it's, you know, over the course of a season. And, you know, we were talking about depth before we got going and you know some places have are, are fortunate to have a ton of depth some places are not and you know a season is is really a game of attrition how healthy can you stay as you get 
towards the end of it as you're making you know a championship run or a playoff run those things really come into consideration and I was talking to a coach here locally about this who's kind of going through that same process had been a 10 personnel no huddle team for a long long time one of the first in the area to do it now all of a sudden they're they're huddling and they're thinking about those things because their you know school population has changed a little bit their depth has changed a little bit and they're they're looking at that you know more and i was i was reminded of a conversation i had with a former player of mine uh and and i coached him back when i was 19 years old he was in you know i think i started coaching him when he was in fifth grade all the way through eighth david ragone who uh, went to louisville and then had a cup of coffee in the nfl as a, a mostly a backup quarterback and now he's the offensive coordinator for the falcons and we were talking the one time about the way that at the time, New England, this is when Tom Brady was there, and they started doing some up-tempo stuff. He said, you know, they're playing, you know, as we charted, I think he told me, like a game and a half more than everybody else because of the number of plays they run. Yep. And, you know, when you think of it that way, like, wow, that's especially NFL, right? That's huge, right? A, a, a smaller roster like that. But it certainly applies to what we're doing at the high school level, small college level, really anywhere, right? I think all the depth is relative and, you know, you see the drop off from the ones to the twos, regardless of what level you're at. Yeah. And I, I think you use a simple term there. If, if you use simple math, if you go from 60 plays to 75 plays each game, and that's on the low end for some of those up-tempo teams, like that's 150 plays over the course of the year, which is a game and a half or two games. And you've added those reps, which does increase the, the injury opportunity, but it also demands more of those guys to be, you know, really successful at what they do. And, you know, in, in games where you get behind, obviously you need to get more plays in to catch back up. But if you've got the lead, uh, you know, you really want to make sure that, you know, you, you don't ask more. Like, ask, ask a little bit less. Um, and and, I, and like you said, there's, there's a big difference between, you know, Roquan Smith playing for the Baltimore Ravens and whoever the backup is. Like, still an NFL player, but he's not going to be as good as Roquan Smith. So let's make sure that we – you know, get him for the important plays and don't over ask his body and create soft tissue injuries and things like that. And I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, people were really finding out was both in the training and in the, the, the gameplay is that the soft tissue injuries on the current athletes are coming at a much more pronounced rate with a longer recovery window um, because they're more finely tuned than, you know, I was in the nineties where I was just, you know, I, I wasn't that guy. I wasn't running for four fives and stuff like that. And so when, you're asking a guy to run a four or five, how many times can he do that over a course of a game, you know, or how many times can that offensive tackle truly win a run block uh, against an explosive defensive end? And let's make sure that those guys are, are, are able to perform at their best for as many plays as they can and, and keep the team as strong as possible. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to touch on that you brought up was the speed out of the huddle, right? Like that is, is something, you know, we get into this, this thought of I'm going to go as fast as I can and no huddle gives me that opportunity. But there are those situations, like we said, that people can see your formation, the way you're aligning. Uh, the speed out of the huddle really gives you some of that effect that you're going for anyway when you want to do things like, well, I, I don't want to give them a lot of time to communicate, to check, et cetera. And, you know, I was I remember, you know, we were into the no huddle stuff and went and saw it was a, a bye week. This is when I was at BW. We went and saw um, Boise State at Toledo. And to, uh, Boise State was a huddle team. 
and the way they operated, getting in and out of the huddle and then moving and shifting to, adding to it, like really stressed the defense. So it's possible to stress a defense. It's a different way. It's not necessarily we're going to run a play every, you know, whatever it is, 12 seconds. But if you do it right, that huddle can give you the effect of what you're looking for in some of that high-tempo offense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, especially if you add a motion to it or, or a shift out of it because I always want to see defensive players talking if we're getting ready to snap the football because if they're still talking, communicating when we snap the football, it means they're not done getting everybody on the same page yet. There's a, there's a chance for them to be wrong. Um, and so that, I think that that huddle tempo with the, with the motion or the different tempos you can even get in and out of the huddle, I mean, they, they look to – they have to wait until you're set to know what their adjustments are. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I mean, I remember in, in the late 90s when the air raid first started coming out and the shock and awe it was to a defense to play fast tempo and how gassed, you know, they would get. Garrett Campbell, he used to be the head coach of Illinois College. He was really good at this in the early 2000s of their tempo. But then the flip side was now everybody's kind of used to that. They've had to do it their whole lives. And so now they get to the opposite side of that where their weight, that weight piece is uncomfortable for them. So you, know, you get the defensive linemen, linebackers waiting around to, to, for you to come out of the huddle, and they're not used to that pause. They're used to the constant action. And so we, we can see a little bit of that different you know, emotional reaction to it as well because the play doesn't happen so fast that you forget the previous play if, the, if you had success and things like that. So I, I think there's so many advantages to it, but I also think that it'll be a, you know, one of those things that's cyclical where you'll, you'll all of a sudden see people going fast break, no huddle again, and then it'll come back and we'll huddle just like everything else in football. Yeah, it's always cyclical, and it comes back kind of in a different way. Uh, you made mention of you know teams really – looking very single wingish in some of the things that they're doing with you see these motions with receivers going behind and they get into you know some of the the run action uh sweep type stuff of a play all kinds of neat stuff that's happening it's uh, i think we see a lot of it now in the nfl and it certainly has made its way down to the college level we saw the reverse of that for a while and for whatever it is i i, I see a little bit different this year for example the the, the ravens offense the way there was a lot of things I saw Michigan doing that said, wow, you know, they must know somebody at the Ravens. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit of a connection there, right? <laughs> no, I think that, the you know, you always find super creativity at the high school level. Um, I, I think that's always kind of been the case is that there was more creativity at the high school level and then it would just take time for it to get to the upper levels um, as people advance. But now with, with social media and other ways for people to access film, I, I think you're seeing that a lot faster. It's being, it's being transferred over. I mean, um, in the, what, 2010s, when the NFL teams finally started to adapt to the zone read and have quarterbacks willing to run it, like they didn't want to have their $40 million quarterback run the football. Well, then they ran it, and none of the defensive teams knew how to stop it because all the NFL guys were used to, you know, 21 personnel, fullbacks, and stuff like that. And then it had to continually move. But that had been being run at the collegiate level I mean, Rich Rodriguez gets a ton of credit for it and Warren Ruggiero when they were at Glenville State back in the late 90s of doing that same stuff. And so, you know, when it got to the next level, people had to adapt how they were playing defense and things like that. And to me, um, it just kind of keeps keeps moving up the food chain. The guy at the Division One level is a little more less likely to go super creative initially because they, they need job security and the job that job ends quicker. Whereas the high school guy who's maybe mired in a five-and-five rut is looking for something to get their team out of it and it will it will take those risks and 
if they have success, it starts moving its way up the up to different levels of football. So I, I think a lot of that creativity really comes out of the high school levels and, and gets, you know, sent up the way. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you there. And, you know, when, when we're looking at some of the things we're talking about here, the other thing that came up was complementary football. And when you pl- start to play this style of offense, that complementary style, that game management really, I think, starts to become a premium because now you think about, you know, as you were saying, how many plays are we going to run? What's the time on the clock? How do we want to chew clock up here or manage the clock? The, the things you see at the NFL level as you start to really dig into, like, why is he using a timeout here or why aren't they calling a timeout here? You know, guys using the middle eight, all of those things really come into play. And there's a lot you can do. Again, you look for how can we gain an advantage on the other team strategically. There's a lot there that you can do within managing a football game or playing complementary football that can work to your favor. Yeah, and sometimes it's is it worth taking a timeout because you don't like the play call anymore. You know, it, it, sometimes it's the time management or the, the types of things like that. But complimentary football to me makes all the sense in the world. Like I, I kind of alluded to earlier, that old NFC East type of mentality, like that field position matters and that time possession matters and things like that is I still believe that to be true, being able to run the football with consistency and, you know, creating an identity within your team that, you know, if we need – if we need a yard or we need three yards, we're going to get it because that's that's who we're built to be. We're not going to have to run three RPOs to get there. You know, we're going to have um, those options, but sometimes we're just going to line up and call a, pa- a run play, and we're going to try to try to establish some you know some personality and temperament within the game. But that also protects the defense because then now now they're getting more time, and um, you know you go if you go three and out on three incomplete passes. And you've only taken, you know, 20 seconds off the play clock. You just extended the game. It's not about calling a timeout there. You extend the game by having the clock stop. And if you if you run the ball and you run it once or twice out of those three plays, now you've, you've taken a minute plus off the clock. And, and that adds up over the course of a game. It may not feel like it in the moment, but over the course of a game and you get in the second half, did you, did you eliminate 10 plays or 15 plays by having the clock running? Um, and not going no huddle to snap the football than you would have otherwise. And again, like I said earlier, I think the the depth of teams matters, and I think that there's a way to be supportive of both sides of the football and not just worrying about stats. And you know, uh, our our goal is score one more point on offense and give up one less point on defense. Forget all the other stuff. Well, you guys are a case study in in some of this stuff because you had the number one defense in the country in Division Three in both scoring and total defense. You held teams to just 5.6 points per game and under 200 yards, 191.1 per game. So incredible job on the defense there. But as you said, you probably would attribute some of this to the style of offense you guys were playing as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I attribute it all to the players. Sure. <laughs> you know, let, let, uh, those guys there. always make yeah. a difference. They make us good coaches. Yeah, we, <laughs> I, I think we got really good coaches, but we got really good players, and they make us they make us look really good. But yeah, I mean, there's there's this weird part of you know on defense if you are are really good on third downs and you don't give up a bunch of first downs, which is where it really starts for us. Uh, you know, our defense with all those other numbers. The biggest thing about our defense was is they only gave up 11 first downs a game and 18 percent on third downs. So if they're not letting drives extend, that then shrinks the field for us on the other side and, and gets some of that field position in our advantage. And, and if we can go and have 20 plus uh, first downs in a game or whatever it is that really helps us you know keep that situation moving forward and I, I think that there is a lot of compliment to that but 
know, sometimes you're you're a little bit more talented, a little bit better on defense one year, and the next year you're a little bit more talented and better on offense because of, you know, guys graduating or whatever it might be. And I think that we've had a really balanced team over the last three years. Um, and, and I think that this year was a, a year where the defense had, you know, a few more all-conference players on it. And I, I think that they were able to, to establish a standard of execution that really helped. But, you know, they gave up, you know, not many points and not many yards. And, and that really helps our, our team get better. Yes. And as you pointed out, you guys were also number one and third down defense in the country at point one eight nine, like in, incredible numbers there. But it is a, about the athletes. And I know in our talk before this, you take great pride in developing these guys, obviously on the field to execute like they do, but also off the field, you know, because with anything, I mean, this is, this is a vehicle. This is, uh, you know, there's a short time in ball and then, you know, you have the rest of your life and there's a lot we can do as coaches to make sure that, you know, we're, we're getting the most out of this experience for our guys that we're coaching. So we'd love to hear about that side of things about how you guys develop athletes off the field. Yeah, I think that's the conversation we have as coaches a lot is that, you know, we're we're all old and removed from our playing careers, right? And so I'm I'm probably 26, 27 years removed from playing, and I couldn't tell you the score of a single game that I played in. Now, I might be able to tell you about a big win or something like that, but the things that I really remember are the relationships that I had with teammates, that I had with coaches, the way that they've impacted my life. I mean, I saw my uh, college defensive coordinator two days ago, and it was, you know, we hadn't seen each other in over a year, and just sitting there and catching up and continuing to – have him impart wisdom on me is something that, you know, still, still means a lot and carries a lot of weight with me. And you know, we want to have that same impact on our players. And, you know, some of the areas with our players that we really focus on is, you know, character development, but then we also take a, what I consider a more meaningful role in trying to help them in their career path and figuring out what they're really passionate about. Um, I'm really lucky to work at a school that um, values that, even though, you know, we, we come from the liberal arts background, but we in our mission statement, mention specifically that we want our guys that, that are our graduates to have meaningful careers. And, you know, I think that for us really working with our guys to create a, a understanding of who they are and what they want to do and not just be focused on the salary and knowing that the, the money will take care of itself at some point is, is something we spend a lot of time with, but during like our preseason camps, like we spend as much time with our guys talking about non-football stuff as we do watching film and, and talking to them about, you know, their adjustments come to college if they're a freshman or the internships they had or the study abroad that they did. And then we have prompts that they, as, as peers, will talk about at different meals. And, and I think that doing some of those things really makes them expand their horizon, but also see the, the full influence of just participating in football, how it can impact their life long term. And I think that's an important thing. And, you know, the, the other thing that I think is, is really weird, and, and sometimes this is, the word gets overused is family. Um, but, you know, I, I went on an interview one time for a head coaching position. They said, you know, what's one word that would describe your, your team? I said, oh, without a doubt, it's family. And the, the person who was interviewing me said, you know, I don't, I don't really like that word. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm not really sure I, I'm following here. Why don't you tell me? They said, well, it can conjure up negative uh, feelings for an athlete because they may have come from a bad family situation. Not everybody had a good family. And, and I was kind of taken aback for there for a second about that and I said you know well I believe it's my job to show them what a good family can be so that they don't repeat that cycle and so they're going to see me with my kids around they're going to see me you know having those conversations and 
and, and speaking positively about my wife and, and having them say the same things, hopefully about their future wives and girlfriends and their kids and find those opportunities. And uh, I think that that's something that kids value. Um, I, I think that they, that's a lesson they can see through, you know, just observing, but also something when you have conversations about relationships and tough times and sharing about, you know, the, the struggles that we go through as we become adults, as they get prepared for it, they know they have somebody they can turn to and ask, ask those questions and ask, ask those statements. And so, you know, I, I think it is our job as coaches to, to continue to provide that influence. Um, I, I don't think that anybody on our team could tell you, you know, how many points we scored in 2021 or how many we gave up in 2021. And they, they might be able to remember this year right now because it's fresh on their brain, but five years from now, they won't know any of those numbers. And it'll be about what, what impact did that coach have on them as a person? What lessons did they learn? What structure did we help create or, or what did we do to help them think about it? And, um, you know, I love when they, our guys become coaches and they say, I'm so, one of the questions I always ask is what idea are you stealing and what idea are you definitely not taking with you? And kind of going through that with them to see what they value. And it's always about the, the off-field stuff that we do, not necessarily the on-field stuff that we do. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective, so I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas State champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coaching Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. In looking at the off-field stuff, and I'm sure for you guys, it's it's become a system, much like you'd have with an offense or a defense. That this is the way we do things. What's one of the things you feel is like really unique in the way you you guys do that to really help these guys develop and figure out where they're going next in life when they leave Lake Forest? Yeah, I, I think that you know. So like in our preseason camp, one of the things that we do is kind of uh, I don't know if it's unique totally, but I think it's it's a little bit different is we assign who they eat with at each meal. And I think the natural inclination is just, okay, the meal time is not something we're concerned about. As long as they get their food, that's all that matters to us. And so they're going to have different players on the team that they need to eat each of their meals with. And in their breakfast and lunch meals in particular, they're given, like I kind of talked about, a prompt to be discussed at the dinner table or at the lunch table, whatever you want to call it, that is being led by one of their upperclassmen. And so you're not getting it, you know, mandated by the coach of what is being said, but the, the upper class who's there has been provided the prompt ahead of time and they're going to talk about it. So it might be, you know, talking about an attitude of gratitude or it might be talking about, you know, networking or something that that individual has done really well. And then what we'll do at our team meeting in the evening is I'll just solicit from the front of the room, you know, what, ha- what was the discussion about at the lunch table today? Who, who's got me some examples of th- stuff that they were struck by or thought was good. And it's amazing how quick, the freshmen start to feel comfortable talking in the big room because they were talking about it at lunch and, and there was something profound said. 
And, you know, we do a pretty good job of then circling back on some of those topics and trying to get them to expand. Or if we hear something that, you know, is, is really striking to us, we're going to make a note of the coaches. And at some point during the season, we're going to go back to that. And, and we're going to bring that back up. And we're going to talk about those things. And it allows the players to inform the coaches kind of, of where they are on certain topics in certain areas and what they value. And so that, that's one of the things I think is really good. We do have a formalized mentorship program for our athletes for their career preparation, um, everything from helping them with their resume development to networking to how to do an interview and, and the different things that go along with that um, that we do strictly within our athletic department. It's called our Forrester Game Plan, and that is that is something that I think is really unique. It's been tried to be duplicated at other places. I know of a, a Division One school that everybody would know about that hired one of our staff people here to try and develop it at their institution. And because they couldn't get buy-in from the coaches, it, it failed. And uh, ours continues to thrive and, and be really successful in helping them take that next step. So I think those are two areas that I think that we do are a little bit different. But like you said, it is it's systemic. It's part of our program. It's part of our DNA. It's not something that is unexpected. And the guys that are veterans, you know, they get over a course of four years, they should get, you know, 10 to 12 touch points on their career prep. They should get, you know, 12-plus touch points on certain topics in the in the character development they should have you know however many one-on-one meetings with their coaches like we schedule those things out and you know no different than a professor has office hours we as coaches do the same thing to make ourselves available when we're you know not breaking down film and not hosting recruits and and things like that and so i think that those are some things that are more formalized and then there's the, there's the informal stuff where the you know the seniors come over to my house for the super bowl and get to eat barbecue and, and sit around and laugh and tell the stories of the, the four years they've been here. And I, I, it's kind of a, I don't want to call their celebratory thing because we do that at graduation, but I, I think that it gives them more time to just be in that family environment with their guys and, and share those stories. So little things like that go a long way with our guys. Yeah. You mentioned the, the coach buy-in and obviously a guy has to want to do that. And I know, you know, you right now are in the, the market to replace a coach. I don't know how much you've had to do that over your time there at Lake Forest, but I'm sure this is something when you're looking at the whole package that it goes beyond, hey, I need a guy who really knows the defense, but I'm sure this is part of the interview. Like, how, how are you going to help develop these guys off the field? Yeah, if they can't do that, I would just set up a Madden console at the convention and play people in Madden to see if they could call stuff right. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I, I think that the stuff with the character development and the – the ability to relate to our, our athletes and the desire to do so. Like we all know coaching is not a nine to five job. You don't just show up at practice and leave at practice. There's, there's a lot more to it. And, and you have to be excited about it because let's face it, we don't pay enough. You know, there, there's not, these aren't the salaries of, uh, you know, the division one guys and getting $76 million to not coach. This is, this is coaches who are super passionate about what they do. And um, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it because the, the finances aren't the, the motivator and uh yeah i've had her i have for better or worse i've had to replace coaches a couple times you know uh my my offensive coordinator a couple of years ago became the head coach of the school in our conference and now our defense coordinator is going to be a head coach and i couldn't be more excited for those guys because i know the hard work they've put into preparing um to become coaches i know that they've they've done everything they could to make our program better and now i'm excited to watch as a fan of theirs as guys that i've spent i mean luke who's leaving us right now um, to be the head coach at Westminster College in Missouri. Uh, I've been, he and I have been together basically since 2009, either as a player or as a coach. And, you know, I, I joked the other day that, you know, he and I, you know, when we met each other, we were single, no kids, you know, embarking on our, our different aspects of the career at Lake Forest College. And, you know, now we're leaving. He's got 
we both have two kids. He's got a third on the way and, you know, we're married and it's all different. And so to go through that life with coaches and now to see them take that next step professionally is really exciting. Um, but like you said, the, the people who we're going to bring in have to be in alignment with what we're doing and no different than the recruits we have to bring in have to be in alignment with it. There's, it just makes everything better when you are. And, and I don't want to be stuck in the situation where, you know, we are not in alignment and happen to, you're not going to convince a coach to all of a sudden think that this is important. They, they have to believe that ahead of time. Coach, I love all these ideas you've shared with us here today. Certainly we'll continue to follow you guys. You mentioned being at the AFCA coming up. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the board of trustees for the AFCA, so I'll definitely be there and running a few meetings and, and actually talking to some people about a coaching position. So this is, uh, this is the first time in a long time I've gone to the AFCA uh, convention with a job open, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to have access you know to 5,000 people that are all going to be in one place and I, I can I can drink a lot of coffee sit in the lobby talking to people about our, our program so I'm excited about that well I'll I'll look forward to uh, trying to connect with you there for a few minutes I know you're going to be busy but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time here on the podcast and best of luck to you and the Foresters here in 2024 well, I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, you know I look forward to catching up with you down the road. Here are winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, really take a hard look at game management and complementary football. It's something that's been great for Coach Catanzaro, and he mentioned that when he took over the offensive side, he took a look at what are the things that cause us the most problems on the defensive side, and that's what he did on offense. I think that's a great exercise to have at this time of the year. It's something that we talked about that came up in the college football playoff between Michigan and Alabama and the fact that Alabama just never called plays against a team in the huddle. It's definitely some differences there. I've been talking to a lot of coaches about this aspect of it. So I think it's something worth investigating and especially with the coming changes on the college side with technology that can be used in game. I think the analytics and the decision-making based on those analytics and how you can manage a game to a win. So A lot to dig into there, but certainly some great highlights from Coach Catanzaro. And our second takeaway from this episode is to develop your players on and off the field. I think in this era of the transfer portal, the more you can do to really show players that you care, the better it's going to be in making them feel really a part of something that is more than just what's going to happen on the field next year, but what's going to happen for the next 40 years of life. That's what they do with the Forrester game plan, and I think that's something we can implement really at any level, and I think it just solidifies those relationships. So I know there's a lot of dynamics that go into the transfer portal. We see it every level being affected right now. But when you think about what can I do to really show these guys that this is something beyond football, I think thinking about things that way, and and you heard Coach say, it's all about the buy-in of the staff. So one guy can't drive this. When you're implementing something like this, whether this is to help your kids who are transitioning out of athletics into going into college, which a lot happens in high school football, or it's the players who are at the college level and will be transitioning into a career, which is over 99% of them. Something worth thinking about and making sure that we continue to do in football. I think that's one of the great things about this sport and the vehicle that it provides. Be sure to go to coachingcoordinator.com to sign up for our weekly tip sheet which highlights the best ideas from each week. Follow us on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.